Tasha's College of Everything is the latest book from Dungeons & Dragons, published on November 17, 2020. It's filled with new options for players and dungeon masters, similar to Xanathar's Guide for Everything. Tasha's is very quick to state that everything inside is optional. I feel like this has been the approach they've used for basically everything outside of the player's handbook. Even feats, which everybody uses, are technically considered an optional rule. Welcome to Cheesesteaks and Dragons. This is episode three, Tasha's Cauldron of Everything. So in this episode, we're going to review the newly released D&D book, Tasha's Cauldron of Everything. Chapter one, character options. We won't go over all of them, but we've selected um, our favorites. So and I'm going to talk a little bit about the bard, the ranger, and the rogue. So for the bard, you know, not a lot has changed. Uh, there's some additional bard spells. The one that I was going to focus on is one called Intellect Fortress. It's a third level spell. Um, this is new and can be found in Tasha's Cauldron of Everything. Basically, it's uh, for the duration you are one willing creature you see within range has resistance to psychic damage as well as advantage on intelligence, wisdom, and charisma saving throws. Uh, you can also cast this at a higher level. So when you cast this spell using a spell slot of fourth level or higher, you can target one additional creature for each slot level above third. The creatures must be within 30 feet of each other when you target them. And this is also found on the spell list for the Artificer, the Bard, the Sorcerer, the Warlock, and the Wizard. One more Bard spell that's new and found in Tasha's Cauldron of Everything is called Dream of the Blue Veil. It's a seventh level spell that lasts 10 minutes. It has a range of 20 feet. And it has a duration of six hours. So check this out. You and up to eight willing creatures within range fall unconscious for the spell's duration and experience visions of another world on the material plane. If the spell reaches its full duration, the visions conclude with each of you encountering and pulling back a mysterious blue curtain. The spell then ends with you mentally and physically transported to the world that was in the visions. So to cast this spell, you have to have a magic item that originated in the world you wish to reach, and you have to be aware of the, aware of the world's existence, even if you don't know the world's name. So your destination in the other world is a safe location within one mile of where the magic item was created. And alternatively, you can cast a spell if one of the affected creatures was born on the other world, which causes your destination to be a safe location within one mile of where the creature was born. So the spell ends early on a creature if it takes any damage or if the creature isn't transported. If you take any damage, the spell ends for you and other creatures, which none of you are transported. Have you heard of a spell like this before? No, I think this is the first time I've had a spell like this. There's yeah. another called Plane Shift, if I recall, that you can use to transfer to like the fire plane or the water plane or something. But this is the first spell where you can, it, it's just written in and you can go to another world like... Eberron or Greyhawk or one of these other places where it's a whole different setting, whole different universe. Mm. And that's fascinating. That brings a whole yeah, new realm of options. Yeah, that's totally, totally cool. Uh, another thing, new thing that we that's in the Tasha's Cauldron of Everything is some new bard colleges. There's one called the College of Creation. So uh, basically you can create things out of thin air. So let's say you've lost your sword. Boom, I hand my ranger a new sword. Thank you. There's also a College of Eloquence, basically a master storyteller or an orator. So think about when your local representative is um, stalwarting at a, a, a meeting and they're talking, talking and orating. That's basically what this reminds me of. Uh, so you're very persuasive in this college. My next one I'm going to talk about is the Ranger. So a couple changes on the Ranger. 
Uh, Depth Explorer replaces the Natural Explorer feature. Favored Foe replaces Favored Enemy feature. Uh, there's more spells in the Ranger subclass and some other uh, little things. I wasn't really super impressed with the changes to the Ranger. I always feel the Ranger's underpowered, but I guess this is D&D's way of trying to help that a little bit. So there's some new Ranger archetypes. Um, there's a Fey Wanderer who represents the Mordo and Feywelds. The Swarm Keeper, where you create a bond with a swarm of nature spirits. Also a Beast Master, so a primal beast that bonds with your nature bond. So you can get one for land, for sea, or sky. So this is supposed, again, to make the Ranger class stronger because it's been so underpowered in the past. I say between the three above, I would choose Swarm Keeper. I think it'd be fun to command a swarm of something. Um, but if you but you have to hit your target first and then use your swarm. So it's not as cool as you think it is. Um, just real quickly on the rogue. Um, to me, this was the best part of the section. I'm a huge, huge rogue fan. I play them all the time. There's two new rogues. There's the phantom uh, rogue and the soul knife uh, uh, rogue. The phantom is sort of my dream RPG character. It's a rogue and a necromancer all in one. It's like the best of both worlds. So the next time create a rogue, I am definitely going to be using this buildup. They've also uh, posted the details for the Artificer class, which was first introduced in an Ebron book, but this is the first time it's in an official D&D uh, &D mainstream book. It's all about inventing magical items. Artificers are half-casters, like a ranger or paladin, meaning they get fewer spell slots than that cleric or wizard. They use artisan tools to cast their spells, meaning they can literally write magic into existence with a calligraphy set, or mix up a magical uh, alchemy potion that effectively works as a spell. It's a fun bit of flavor. It doesn't affect the game too directly, but I like it. They can also imbue objects with a bit of magic, and they can make their own temporary magical items. My sense is that this class is designed to be a support class, uh, not really uh, sort of a powerhouse on its own, casting big spells or uh, smacking bad guys, but they're like, assist the group, make everyone else better around them. That said, I haven't had a chance to play one yet. Uh, again, let's, I'm going to talk about some of my favorite uh, classes. Just throw out a couple. Uh, the Barbarian and the Druid both have a bunch of new options. They all do, but let me talk, talk about these for a second. Uh, the Barbarian has always been a strong class. They're the strong, tough, hardy ones. They rage, they can take a hit like no one else in the game. Tasha's Cauldron adds a subclass called Path of the Beast. That sounds really fun, where you get these werewolf-like abilities. Hmm. At level 3, every time you rage, you can pick a, like a new attack, and they all do different things. You have claws that let you attack quickly, bites that let you regain some health when you bite somebody, or a tail that like, can use to sort of block other attacks. Oh, nice. At level 6, you can alter yourself further, gain the power to swim or climb or jump on demand. Level 10, your attacks can affect enemies with special effects. And level 14, you can power up your teammates while giving yourself temporary hit points. Oh, that sounds really interesting. It does. I like the sense that it can do different things as needed. Mm. You know, come with a situation like, oh, I need to climb right now. Boom, I can. Right, yeah. Uh, so yeah, it sounds like a really fun uh, subclass to me. Druids have always been my favorite class, though. I love druids. They're flexible, they're powerful, they're fun. Tasha's Cauldron gives them access to a bunch of extra spells, mostly give them more elemental power, which has always been one of their specialties. There's an alternate class feature that lets you use one of your wild shape powers to summon a, a familiar, like a, a bird, to help scout things out for you. Okay. There are also three new subclasses to choose from. Circle of Spores has fungal powers related to death and necromancy. Circle of Stars lets you look at the look, you know, gaze of the stars and the constellations and use that to uh, gain more powers and, and bonuses to yourself. 
Circle of wild, Wildfire gives you additional fire-related powers. Once you summon a special fire spear companion. So basically you can start a forest fire if needed. Kind of, which like is sort of the cir- part of the circle of life. I saw uh, the circle spore stuff, and I thought that was really kind of an interesting take on a druid. Like, yeah. you tell me druids are always, like, full of nature and life and blah, blah, blah. And, like, the <laughs> circle spores is a different direction for it. It is. I, I appreciate that's there, though. It's a, it's a neat switch. Yeah, that said, um, I wasn't overly impressed by those features. But I, I suppose a lot of what comes in, into being a druid is part of your spells, which you can right. choose every day. Yep. Chapter 2 is all about group patrons. Uh, so basically, this is the solving a problem that sometimes you'll find playing a campaign is like, what is the common purpose amongst everybody in the party? So there's a group patrons uh, section basically gives you ideas on how to bind your party together to give them a mission or a sense of purpose and assignments. Uh, my favorite one was the ancient lich. I thought it was pretty cool. And they're all set up the same in this section. There's the, the different types, let's say, of the ancient beings. And it gives you like four or five different examples, um, perks to be, having this person being your group patron, how to be able to contact them, um, sort of like what are the goals or the operatives of this uh, being, and some quests. And before I forget, I wanted to add one other thing at the end here. You can also be your own patron. Which is interesting. So, you know, you can run your own crime syndicate or your own, like, scholars collective. So you would be the patron for yourself, basically. Sure. I love this. It's oh, a lot. The, the sort of, like, the traditional trademark way of starting a D&D adventure is your group of strangers who meet in a pub. Yeah, how many times has that been overused, right? Oh, sure. But also, that's the key problem there is you're a group of strangers. You eventually become friends and, and maybe find a common purpose. But you don't start out that way, usually. And this, this guy, this guy, this group patrons idea gives you that from the get go. It says you're part of a group. You all probably have like an assigned role in the group, like someone's uh, maybe in charge. You know, somebody's second in command. It gives you someone to report to. It gives you goals. I love this. In fact, this is something that sort of occurred naturally in our uh, our campaign, where we're going through some of the uh, chapters of the Saltmarsh book, right? Where uh, your group has. Be- end up be taking on this uh, this rich fellow as sort of your group patron. You've sort of assembled a school where you, uh, first of all, have a home base and you're training a new group of characters. Mm-hmm. And this is a place where you work out of. This is a place where you get jobs from. And it's giving you guys purpose and, and goal and, and sort of a, a focus. Yeah, no, it's definitely have, has helped the campaign to have that sort of like umbrella to be under because everything makes sense. You know, every time we play that whatever like scheme we're playing, adds to something else that we're doing. So yeah, it kind of works out really well. Yeah, I love this. Chapter three is Magical Miscellany. This chapter is a big list of magic spells and new magic items that is too much for us to cover page by page. But it's a good thing to have. I'm going to mention a couple of notable things here. First off, and this got a a bit of press in the news, the Booming Blade spell has officially been nerfed. Hmm. So the Booming Blade spell combines with a weapon attack and adds thunder damage and then adds additional damage if the target moves afterwards. It's a very popular option for characters to combine martial scar- skills and weapons like an arcane trickster rogue. Right. But apparently it had an unintended synergy with other spells and abilities creating broken combos. So now the spell specifies a range of five feet and the material component of a physical weapon costing at least one silver piece. 
It is still a very useful spell, though. I think I ran across this a couple years ago when we were playing in um, a campaign. It was like an Avengers League thing where I, I think I created some kind of like paladin. Yeah, I think it was a paladin or something along uh, arcane range or what, okay. something like that. And yeah. I remember booming blade, and I remember reading mm. it, and it was like this seems like really strong. But that it was is. a good two years ago, so sure. it took them two years to kind of, you know, fix this and, and publish it. They are a little slow at that. There's there's a lot of sort of overpowered uh, combinations in 5th edition that they are very slowly to getting around to fixing. Yeah, they must have pissed off a lot of DMs. <laughs> Speaking of which, my next option, next thing to note, is summon spells. They've started introducing different versions of the summon spells, like a al new alternate version. Before, you could summon monsters straight from the monster manual, and you could usually summon a bunch at once. Mm -hmm. But the new version gives you a simplified stat block that you use for each skill. Okay. It'll say, oh, you're summoning a fey? Here's a fey, like a, a standard stat block for a fey, and then add stuff if you uh, cast at a higher level. Okay. I like this. It's much simpler design, but also avoids crazy overpowered applications that were available before. Basically, like a... Large group of weak creatures is usually stronger than one strong creature uh, because of the way the mechanics of the game work. Just mm -hmm. having more creatures and more attacks is more powerful. Also, it's just a headache for the dungeon masters if you have to suddenly deal with like eight more creatures on the field. Yeah, yeah, I can imagine. The last thing I wanted to mention is magical tattoos. They essentially function, function the same as a magical item. So in a sense, they aren't that special, but it's a cool detail. It's just fun to be able to say, oh, I have this magical tattoo because it makes your character look and feel Cooler. Cooler. Makes sense. I like it. On to chapter four, Dungeon Master Tools. In a way, I wish I, they would have put this up in the beginning. They sort of hit it towards the end, and I think I know why they did this. So it's a section on how to conduct uh, session zero, how to make house rules, and then social conduct. So, you know, this section, there seems to be an emphasis on the relationships within the party. Mm -hmm. So the guide, the guide suggests, you know, some questions to ask the, the party to help facilitate a history for them. That's on page 139. The other thing that I find most importantly is the social contract section. I'm really glad to see this in print. Um, though I've never been in a game or part of a party well, I felt unsafe, I do know that it happens. Sure. So they list out common in-game limits and other disrespectful behavior and also gives the DM some ideas on how to bring up player limits and definitions of soft and hard limits. I, I, I remember being on the interwebs reading some comments about this and I will say the majority of the negative ones were coming from men or men people who represent as men basically saying like you know mm -hmm. I'm the DM and this is my table and this is what I'm gonna do and if you don't like it you can walk which is true which but is at, sure it's fine but at the same time if you're playing with a group of people like I know here in Philadelphia we have uh -huh. FIDAL which is an sure. organization that organizes RPG playing, Dungeons and Dragons playing in the Philadelphia area. Right. And there is a piece of paper that you have to recognize and say, I've received in order to be part of this group. And I think it's good for them because it makes players feel safe. Yeah. It kind of winds out people who are the ones who are like, I, I'm not going to abide by this because I don't have to. So I, I think this is a good idea. Yeah. You no, know? This is good. You know, it, it's saying you can do all the things you want, but talk to your players about it first. Right. Don't surprise your players with a suddenly uh, uh, overly, uh, uh, like, mortifying, like, gross situation or scary situation or uncomfortable situation that they're not, that they don't want to be part with. of. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, that makes total sense. 
So, um, but with everything in this book, everything is optional. Everything is optional. Uh, so that's covering, you know, Wizards of the Cult's butt. But yeah. they have it in writing. Yeah. I don't think it's as stern as it should be, but they they have to cater to both sides. Do you know what I'm sure. saying? Sure. Right. Yeah. Um, the other part of this chapter is the section on sidekicks. So this, uh, I'm not sure if this is something I would use, but it's a neat concept. So, you know, there's an uh, you, you there's an expert which is favoring cunning over brawn, like scouts, musicians, librarians, spellcasters, which walk the path of magic. So they have hedge wizards, soothsayers, or a person with magic in their veins, and then a warrior. So someone who's a soldier or a town guard or a battle trained beast. So that that was kind of cool. Yeah. I, I think that's designed to help if your party needs an extra NPC to help them mm -hmm. fill out the party. For example, if you're playing with a group that's just too small, you know, one or two people, right. they probably need more people. So this is a way to let them do that. I never thought about starting a DD campaign with just one person. <laughs> so, but it happens. Yeah, no, they, they advertise that for the, uh, it's the D&D Essentials Kit. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. Also, um, there's some sections on magical phenomena where they talk about different situations. Um, so, for instance, the one that I liked was the Mimic Town, <laughs> which is super cool. So, the idea is, you know, you're an adventuring party. You happen upon this town. But the Mimics can mimic basically everything. So, one of the examples they gave was, oh, hey, there's this bridge you're crossing. And then, all of a sudden, some teeth show or some legs show. And it's like a, a, a bridge made of Mimics. Like, what do you do then? right that's a cool yeah. idea and of course they introduced the baby mimic which is not called a baby mimic but it's basically a baby mimic how <laughs> cute is that kevin knows my favorite two things are oh. mimics and what's the other one the um the the cube that eats everybody oh the gelatinous cubes yes gelatinous cubes <laughs> those are the best they also have a section on natural hazards which is super cool i guess when you're playing in D D. There yeah. are natural hazards, but these are really cool because they sort of expand the world playing and the world creation. Like an avalanche, you can throw in an avalanche. I mean, I know it's done before, but I still think right. it's a cool way to remind people you can add that in. And then finally, there's a section on puzzles, which finally is a better explanation of some really interesting puzzle concepts, which range from easy to hard. And handouts are included that you can, you know, give to your party. I looked through this section, and it's great for just giving options for Dungeon Masters. The sidekicks, I don't know if I would use them personally, but I appreciate that they're there. And mm -hmm. it's a very straightforward way of doing it. Mm -hmm. There's a section on parlaying with monsters, which... You know, if you play with a group, their impulse is to just kill everything in sight. And that gets to be a problem sometimes. Yes, It's yes. very just single-minded and it's it gets it's silly ho sometimes. hobo party, mind speak. Murder hobo, sure. Yeah, yeah. murder hobo So party. I love that that's there. And then the environmental hazards. You know, there's like magical forests or haunted houses. And it's neat that it gives the environment more flavor to it. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Like D&D at sort of like most bland, it's just walk into a room, kill three bad guys, walk into another room, kill three bad yeah, guys. Yeah, right. It's formulaic. Yeah. Uh, and so like this makes the environment matter. It makes the environment interesting. It makes the environment part of the challenge. Uh, whether it's just like uh, something that just gives a little flavor or something that they have to survive. Uh, lastly, the puzzles I thought was great. It's just a long list of puzzles, rules, descriptions, solutions. And it's super helpful because I think a good puzzle is one of the best things to bring into a game. Mm. But also it's one of the hardest things for a dungeon master to have to write for himself. And they could totally fail too. Oh, sure. And now for this episode's cheesesteak review... Uh, Kevin and I went to Jim's Steaks, which is an institution in South Philly. 
Um, and they're located on South Street, 400 South Street in Philadelphia. Their website is gymsteaks.com. Uh, they are a 75-year-old uh, cheesesteak joint, and they started <laughs> in 1939. They have a West Philly location, the South Philly, and one in Springdale, Pennsylvania. I will say... <laughs> I kind of didn't want to do this one, but we were in the area, and only because every time I've ever mm -hmm. been there, sure. it's been a rowdy crowd. It is. There's usually a been, line out the door. Yeah, and it's always a hot mess, and when South Street's a hot mess, everybody yep. pours into gyms. Yeah. But I have to say, maybe it was because we were like one of two groups there. Mm -hmm. I enjoyed it much better. I got the cheesesteak with the Whiz and fried onions. And I think you got the same? I got the same, yeah. Yeah. Whiz -whiz. Um, and most importantly, because I'm a bread snob, they use Amoroso bread. So if you're not from the if you're from the Philly area, you understand how anal we are with our cheesesteak <laughs> bread. Amoroso is a great bread maker and they're local here in the Philadelphia area. So a couple things if you're gonna visit. They only accept cash, hmm. which can be problematic, especially during times of COVID and sure. some places still having shortages of cash and somebody forgot their wallet yes thank god kevin <laughs> spared me um they also ship their cheesesteaks nationwide mm. so that's super cool yes yeah i pushed for getting this one reviewing it because i've been there a number of times and i've always enjoyed it uh but this time i wasn't impressed oh. the the meat just tasted uh, off like it was like a ground too finely or something oh no it was perfect it just it just tasted a little bit off for me uh, I'm giving a 3 out of 5, and even that is only as high because I have enjoyed it so much in the past. So you're remembering how how, the, how good they were? Yeah, yeah. I'll give them I'm, a little credit. I'm giving them a 4.5 out of 5, which is really high. That's generous. <laughs> it was good. So, Noemi, it is, uh, it is February. What is making you happy? So this... Um, the weeks lying onto going onto this podcast while I've been Kevin's introduced me to two really cool shows one that I started and stopped and now I'm obsessed with which is The Alienist I'm a big true crime kind of historical person so this combines the two really well it's mm -hmm. got like a Jack the Ripper kind of flavor to it yeah. the costumes are phenomenal but set in New York City yes in the Five Points area of New York yeah. uh, actually all over New York City it's great I'm a big nerd about new york history so this is really good it's very gangs of new york oh totally is it, it has a lot of cool influences yeah um i also introduced kevin to one of my favorite shows kim's convenience store which yeah. i didn't think you were gonna like at all you know what i kind of love it it's it's like so cringy at times like so weird at times but i like it's adorable it's adorable and i kind of love it mm-hmm uh, I'm happy, just in urban broader terms, that it's finally getting warmer out. We, we've hit a, a batch of like big storms, but I think the end of winter is finally here. The snow is finally melting. We can finally start going outside and hiking and stuff again. You probably again. jinxed us. We're probably going to get uh, like another 12 feet of snow. Shush. <laughs> Speaking of jinxing us, uh, COVID-19 numbers are down, and uh, vaccines are getting out, and I am feeling optimistic about the future. Uh, my parents are both vaccinated now, and yeah, I have some elder family members yeah. that are vaccinated, so it's looking good. Yeah, so I hope to the future. All right, well, thanks everyone for joining us. You can reach out to us on our Instagram, our Facebook page, and if you follow us on Twitter, send us some ideas for shows or comments about all the cool stuff we talked about this week, and we look forward to seeing you soon.